Well, good morning, Mount Helena Community Church. Sorry I can't be with you today. I was hoping that I would be completely recovered from COVID and being able to breathe and have the energy for a couple messages and hanging out with all of you today, but I'm afraid that's not going to happen. So uh, I'm coming to you through this video uh, to bring the message this morning, and I'm really thankful for the technology to be able to do that. Um, I know it's not ideal having a video for your Sunday service and it's not typically what we do but in a pinch we do what we have to do. So good morning. I'm glad that you joined us this morning. Um, if you are a guest, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate you taking the time to come visit with us and I hope you will take the encouragement to join the link meeting right after the service today. Uh, should be very helpful to you. I'm going to take a moment here and pray before we get started. Before I pray, actually, I also wanted to thank all of you that joined us on uh, Sunday evening. It was a great success. It was a good turnout. It was uh, great to have a meal with everyone, and I've just heard so many good reports from it, and and very glad for those of you that participated in that. Looking forward to our future together. Let's pray. God, I come before you this morning, Lord, just, God, asking for your leadership and guidance for us today as we go through your word. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in every heart, in every mind. Lord, teaching us your ways, encouraging and strengthening us where, where we need it. Father, I pray that you give me the strength to get through the message today. And, and uh, God, I just pray for your continued healing in, in my own body and, and, uh, for all those, Lord, who are sick and ailing. and Lord, we know you're the great architect of the human body, Lord, and you know every intricacy about how it works. And Father, we just pray that your healing power would be at work amongst us, Lord. So God, we thank you for your word this morning. Pray that it would go out and do what you send it out to do today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you want to get a head start, you're going to want to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, this morning I'm going to be discussing with you the armor of God. And I want to just recap a little bit about what we've been talking about um, in uh, recent weeks, and uh, particularly the messages two and three weeks ago that I shared with you. Jason did a great job last week with talking about serving and loving one another, and I really appreciated that message. Um, I have been talking out of Ephesians chapter 3, honing in on this key phrase uh, that, that Paul talks about where he says uh, in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. We've been talking about the importance of the church, God's design of the church, that all of us are a part of it. We know it's not the building. We know it isn't just the organization itself. It's, it's all of the people in community. That's the church. And God is using the church to demonstrate his wisdom to the entire world. And he's revealing it through you and I. But not only is he revealing it to mankind as a message of salvation and hope, but he's actually ushering in a new kingdom. We looked at a couple weeks ago how uh, because of sin, evil has an authority 
in the world, a certain limited authority under God's sovereignty. And that can be a challenge to think about and, and to understand how to navigate. But we know that that's the condition of the world. But we know that Jesus has come to bring a new kingdom. Uh, it was his initial message and, and his instruction uh, to people is the kingdom of God is at hand. And we know that now that he has done his work on the cross, there, there is a new authority on earth, a kingdom spreading through the church. And so it's not only something in the natural, but it's something in the supernatural. And that, that evil authority that, that has been over the world from the point of uh, the fall of man, uh, we, we see that God is bringing in a hopeful message through his kingdom. So through the church, this mission is taking place that the authority in heavenly places is shifting as the kingdom of God comes through. And so today I want to talk out of Ephesians chapter 6 where it talks about the armor of God and talks about um, that we, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And we looked at this a little bit a couple of weeks ago, uh, but I want to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 verses 3 and 4. It says, for though we walk in the flesh, meaning that though we live in a natural world with natural lives, and that's all very much a part of our journey, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So the Bible acknowledges that we live a natural life. It acknowledges the the complexity of that natural life the scripture does all throughout. But he does draw attention to this point that when we're, we're in a conflict, and it's not a conflict of the flesh, it's a conflict in the spirit, and the weapons that we use, the way we wage that war, is not carnal. Now, what does it mean uh, to not be flesh or not be carnal? It's not something where we, we physically go and, and fight an enemy, or where we engage in worldly concepts in order to wage that war. It's something that takes place in more of a supernatural way. And when it says destroy strongholds, um, it's not talking about taking a physical place. It's talking about those places in our lives where the enemy builds a little fortress and guards against the good things that God is doing in our lives. So if we're caught in sin and we don't really want to deal with it, or something that we are very weak and vulnerable towards, the enemy has a stronghold in our life when it comes to that kind of sin. And wherever the enemy has a stronghold, he has authority. And so we talked about this in recent weeks, and it's important for us as Christians to realize that even though God forgives sin and has grace for it, which is just one of the greatest gifts we could ever receive is the forgiveness of sin and the salvation that comes with that. We also then need to walk on guard against sin because when sin becomes a part of our lives, our enemy has a stronghold, has authority. But in our struggle, in our warfare, we have weapons that can deal with those things inside of us, those strongholds. So we don't wage war according to the flesh but we do have spiritual weapons that are not fleshly. And Paul gives us instruction on this in the scripture. So let's get to Ephesians chapter 6, uh, which is the main text I want to focus on today. Finally, 
Be strong in the Lord. Finally, Paul's getting to the end of his letter to the church in Ephesus, and he's been giving them instructions, and, and here he's wrapping things up, and he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So he's prefacing this whole conversation about the armor of God, reminding us that our real strength comes from God. That when we, when we talk about warfare and we talk about struggle and wrestling, we can tend to uh, think in terms of our own strength or whatever kind of energy we can muster in ourselves. But he's really saying that the foundation for our strength that we operate from is in the Lord. And all of these, uh, the, the armor that he's about to get into, the weapons of the, our warfare that are not carnal, that, that have divine power, they come from him. They're found in him. It's from his might, from his strength, his gifts for us that he uh, uh, strengthens us and, and causes us to win that battle. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, in this modern day and age, when we talk about the schemes of the devil, uh, sometimes there's a tendency for us to roll our eyes a little bit and go, is is there a devil? Is there evil? Uh, I think we can look at the world at large and even some of our own circumstances and things we've experienced in life. And indeed, there is a powerful force of evil at work against God's people all of the time. And the scripture encourages us to stand against it, to hold our ground. And there are schemes. They're not always just obvious things. Our enemy operates in subtlety in so many ways. We looked at this in the, in the very beginning in the garden where he just says these words, did God say? And it kind of works that way in our lives today in subtle things of, eh, is that God? Is that not God? Is that right? Is that wrong? Is it that big of a deal? Uh, we, we do need to be on guard against the schemes of the devil. And he says, put on the whole armor you got to put on all of it. These things that we're about to unpack in the armor of God, are they, they work together. If you only have half the armor on, you're only half protected, and you're not going to be able to function quite as well as you could. So sweet, we get some armor. This is getting awesome. Let's take a look at it. Oh, he gives us one more verse before getting into the armor. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So at first when we start reading that, we say against rulers and authorities, great, resist authority, let's go. But he's actually talking about something over uh, the spiritual realm, spiritual forces of evil, something in heavenly places. There's an authority in a heavenly place that he is coming to combat. So again, we see this contradiction between the fleshly realm and the realm of the heavenlies. So these words, rulers, depending on your translation, you know, it could say things like principalities or um, magistrates, maybe, if you use the old King James. Uh, authorities would be powers, and it, and it would imply the idea of jurisdiction, an area of authority. Uh, cosmic powers has to do with, that's one word in the Greek it has to do with a world ruler, is the idea behind cosmic power, kind of a universal um, evil, really, is what this is speaking to. 
Anyway, we've unpacked this verse quite a bit uh, last uh, couple weeks ago, last time I shared a message. So now let's get into the armor. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. God has called us to stand. He's called us to hold the ground he's given us. And our enemy is wanting to take back ground in our lives, so to speak, if you think of it in those sort of military terms. And when he comes into our lives, see, Paul's addressing Christians here. People who have given their lives to Christ. People who have experienced his forgiveness and advancement of his kingdom in our own hearts. But our enemy wants to take back ground that we continue to, as we continue to advance in our own lives. Meaning that as sin is more and more purged from us, as we more and more step into our calling and our giftings as Christians, as, as the mission begins to um, be fulfilled before us and the ground we take as individuals and as a church, uh, we want to hold that. We want to stand. So we want to stand firm in this conflict. We're not, we don't want to be pushovers. Now, it, what, what's so interesting about the armor, and one of the things I really like about it, is that it's actually very practical. I mean, when we're talking about things of the Spirit, boy, there must be like complex prayers or deep spiritual knowledge that I don't have to somehow engage in this uh, standing in the Spirit and holding ground. But God is very... Uh, sympathetic to us he's done a he's done um he's done us a huge favor by keeping it quite simple when it comes to these things and so as we look at these principles you know you would you would think that the military strategy of the spirit realm would be intensely complex or unknown or mystical maybe is the word i'm looking for but in fact the scripture doesn't draw much attention to any of those kinds of things God's word instructs us in the simple principles of daily life and behavior and relating to him. And that is how we fight this fight. And that is how we hold the ground. So let's keep that in mind as we begin to look at the armor of God. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Okay, there's, he likens truth to a belt. This idea that we fasten it around our waist. Um... You know, I think a lot of times when we're talking about armor and, and Paul's day, we think of the Roman soldiers and centurions that that existed. And, you know, really all throughout military history, um, you know, a belt would be a place maybe where your sword was sheathed or those kind of things. But he starts with the truth. And we know how valuable the scripture holds the truth. We see that at the foundation of our broken lives and the brokenness of creation is a lie it began with a lie a twisting of the truth and so how do we begin Uh, with the armor of god we begin with the truth what is true ultimately god is truth there is no lie in him he is the standard bearer of truth we hold all things up to his character and nature to test whether or not it is true jesus said i am the way the truth and the life in John chapter 14, verse 6. He is the truth. So his message, his way of life, his teaching, and our relationship to him, it's true. It's straight. It's right. And it's good. John chapter 8, verse 32. 
says that the truth will set you free. And when we became Christians, we encountered the truth and we accepted it. We believed it. We uh, in, started to ingrain it into our lives. And the truth begins to break off the chains in our lives. So we need to have truth with us in everyday life. And this is what's so practical about it. If we're paying attention as we just walk out a regular day in our lives, are we carrying with us truth? Whether it's truth in terms of the basics of the gospel and the opportunity to share truth with other people. But often in our conflict, we have to hold our ground and our enemy comes against us as the father of lies. So how do we withstand lies? We know the truth. You know, Paul talks about thinking on whatever is good and whatever is lovely and whatever is noble, etc. Thinking on those good things. Thinking on the truth. If we have the truth with us, when we come under attack from lies, we can resist that attack. The truth is such a valuable and important part of our journey with God and resisting uh, the difficulty that comes to us by our enemy. You know, it's interesting too that Paul says, uh, fasten it on. We have to take action. We have to be deliberate. We don't just wake up one day knowing all of the truth. It doesn't just all come to us by our intuition or opinion. It's something that has to be inputted into our lives over time as we relate to God and as we study His Word. So sin started with a lie, a twisting of God's character, a twisting of the truth. You and I, in our day-to-day lives, need to have to we need to fasten on the truth like a belt, to take action to put it on. The and one thing that's interesting too, and I don't want to, you know, when we talk about the interpretation of Scripture, one of the things that we try to avoid is fanciful allegory, which means to read into the Scripture something it doesn't actually say. Now, Paul doesn't go into great depths about describing a belt or um, describing... Uh, uh, the Roman centurion garb or those kinds of things. Uh, so we, want, we have to be careful about what meaning we take out of this. But I think it is worth considering that the belt was a part of the armor. You know, that it's got the little leather, almost skirt thing in front of the, the Roman soldier, uh, kind, kind of um, guarding his midsection there. And, and that's what the truth does. It does protect us. There's an element of protection there. And if maybe I'm reading into it a little too much here, but if the belt really was a place where the sword was sheathed, we do know when we get to the sword later, which is the word of God, that, that it is, is totally, it's completely true. And when we carry the, the word of God, we're carrying a truth with us. So there's some really good concepts uh, for us uh, to consider when it comes to the truth. Let's move on to the second piece of armor the breastplate of righteousness, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Again, he's instructing us with action. You've got to put it on. What's a breastplate? It's the whole chest armor, and it's an armor of righteousness. Now, what does it mean to be righteous? Well, the definition of righteous is to be in the right, to be morally right or in morally right standing. And so when we say that someone is righteous, we would say they're a morally right and upstanding kind of a person. Now, we all know that in comparison to God, 
And to com in comparison, what true righteousness is, none of us is righteous. None of us has a righteousness in and of ourselves that is sufficient. We need the righteousness of Christ. So <clears throat> when, when Christ in, in his sinlessness, his ultimate righteousness, sacrificed himself for us, his shed blood gives us the opportunity to put on a righteousness that is not our own. It's not our own at all. It's something he bought for us. So when God looks at us, he can see us as righteous, even though really we are not completely righteous in and of ourselves. And it's such a valuable gift that God has given us, that he's bestowed upon us the righteousness of Christ, and that we have that to protect us and to be a part of our lives. But that doesn't excuse us from um, being righteous people, from working to attain a righteous lifestyle, a righteous way of thinking, righteous way of treating other people. Uh, four times in Scripture, uh, first in uh, Habakkuk in the Old Testament, and then it's quoted three more times in the New Testament, plus there's other places in the Scripture where this is insinuated, but it says the righteous will live by faith. So it's not a righteousness of self, it's a righteousness that comes from our faith. Um, in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, um, Paul says this, uh, picking up mid-sentence, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, that comes from the law, in other words, that he could obey his way into righteousness, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. We can be counted righteous in God's sight because of faith. But it's also important to recognize that we are then called to emulate or um, set our Savior as an example in our lives to live righteously. John chapter 3, I'm sorry, 1 John chapter 3 verse 7, it says, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. John calls us to practice righteousness. So we, we accept the gift of righteousness through the blood of Jesus Christ, and then we work to live up to what we've already attained. We want to be a righteous people. We want to demonstrate righteousness to our loved ones and the world around us. Righteousness is an important value and principle in the kingdom of God. And ultimately, just like truth, it's in the character and nature of God himself. Now, we could maybe read into this a little bit here, but what does the what does this breastplate protect? It protects the heart. You know, guard the heart. The scripture teaches us to do so. Well, we we want righteousness to be protecting of us. If we if we're not um, submitted to God's righteousness and we're not living in a righteous way ourselves, our heart becomes exposed to the schemes of our enemy, to the opportunity for sin. We're so corrupted by sin uh, in our own nature, we almost don't even need a devil anymore because we ourselves are corrupted and we're tempted by many things and we're easily swayed. And, and so this, this challenge, the challenges of life to our morality our moral rightness come in. And we want to be righteous. We don't want our heart to become 
corrupted by the evil of the world or the schemes of our enemy or even our own selfish and evil schemes. Righteousness will protect us, living rightly, both the righteousness that comes from Christ that protects us, but also just making right moral decisions in the way that we live our lives. See, God, this is not complex. God is saying your spiritual warfare, this armor, this engagement in the spiritual realm is rooted in the character and nature of God himself. So rather than give us complex weapons of warfare, God has given us himself, his character and his nature, in which we are to walk in order to engage in this battle. So we have truth, we have righteousness as part of our warfare and armor. And, moving on to number three, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So now we move to the shoes. Uh, you know, shoes, we can think of the idea that our feet carry us places. He's saying a readiness. There's a readiness that's given by the gospel. And we know that this gospel is meant to go. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations. Paul was carrying the gospel into the nations. There's a sense of going all the time with the gospel. And that's part of this mission. And that as we go, disciples are made. That's the mission of the church. Through the church, this is happening. But what is this principle that this gospel is connected to in the armor that, that Paul's talking about? It's the gospel of peace. First of all, peace has been made between God and man. God made a way to make peace between himself and mankind. And so it's a gospel of peace. Uh, I believe it was Timothy. I could be mistaken here, but I'm pretty sure it was Timothy that Paul instructed. He said, be ready to give an answer for your hope. So we need to be ready with the gospel, with this good news, with this truth that we have the opportunity to share with people. But the other thing to draw attention to is that it is a gospel of peace. It's kind of ironic that we're talking about warfare, and yet it's a gospel of peace. To creation, it's a gospel of peace. To our spiritual enemies, it's a gospel that uh, is taking over their territory. So it's a gospel of war to our enemy. But to us, it's a gospel of peace, and to the world around us, it needs to be a gospel of peace, meaning the natural world. In the book of Romans, chapter 8, Paul talks about the creation waiting in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. So when we come to Christ, we, we are revealed to creation. Here is a son or a daughter of God. And creation is longing for that gospel of peace to be preached throughout creation. I don't know about you, that excites me. It motivates me and encourages me. So this gospel of peace, well, the opposite of peace would be division, unsettledness, um, broken relationships. But this gospel brings peace to mankind, that mankind can have peace with each other, that mankind can have peace with himself, huge component. We're, we're conflicted. Uh, we know that we're broken. We know we're morally wrong. And yet God brings peace to that with forgiveness. And he brings peace to our relationship with him through this gospel. Romans chapter 16, verse 20, I just thought, speaking to the irony of this gospel of peace while talking about armor of warfare. 
He says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Under your feet. This gospel of peace, and yet God crushing Satan under our feet. Is there a connection here between the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace and the crushing of Satan? How interesting and fun. God is cool. And he's just done such a cool thing with his word and all of the connections that, that we can make and the encouragement then that we can draw from it. I'm so encouraged by this. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Here we get a little bit of glimpse into the combat that goes on in our lives. The way our enemy operates is he he shoots arrows or throws darts. We have a dartboard in our house, and as a result, we have a broken window in our basement. These darts can do some damage. Well, there's these fiery darts that come from our enemy, and we're called to hold our ground. So we see that, that in this combat, thoughts come at us, accusations in the spirit, deception, schemes. They come at us kind of like arrows trying to penetrate us somewhere. And we have this armor. And one of the things we have is this shield we can put up. A shield of faith. Because, you know, this is a, this, um, our salvation is by faith. Um, the righteous live by faith. We have this shield of faith. Faith is, very, is, is a pivotal principle and component of our entire, um, I was going to say of our entire faith. It, that is what it is. It's our faith. And so, so when these, these schemes, accusations come at us, they come to challenge our faith. Again, going back to the lie, the twisting of the truth. Did God really say, do we really believe God? Do we really believe in his word? Do we have hope for something we don't yet see? Hebrews 11, chapter 1. Uh, Faith is the evidence of things unseen. The ESV translates it like this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen. The, The conviction, the strong belief that compels us to action. So, So we have faith in God. And we're compelled to action because of it. And so what does our enemy do? He comes to resist that faith. Izzy has decided to join us for the message today. You want to give your life to Jesus today, Izzy? <laughs> so we, we know that those uh, accusations come at us, but faith resists the doubt and the lie and the fear that comes from our enemy. So these flaming darts come at us, and, and we're in the heat of battle, and, and especially when things are difficult. Man, if, we're, we're, if, our, if life has beat on us, our circumstances have, have got us down, uh, our doubts kind of kick in, our fears kick in, our faith gets a little bit weak, and that's when our enemy sees an opportunity to shake us at our core, to cause us to walk away from our faith in Christ, to cause us to step out of the battle and not be a part. And I wonder... Sometimes, am I sitting on the sidelines of the battle when really I should be engaged because my faith has wavered and I've been so challenged that I've stepped aside? And that's what our enemy wants to do. Get us off the battlefield. 
Maybe God will save us in the end. But if we're off the battlefield, he's won a great victory in our lives, our enemy has. And we don't want that. We want to hold up our faith to approach all of our circumstances to life with faith. Continue in the faith, in Colossians 1.23. Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Don't shift from the faith of the gospel. In Galatians, he says, I'm shocked that you so quickly turn to another gospel, which is really no gospel at all. He's talking about other false teachings that have gotten into the church. False ways of understanding God. There's no hope in those. Our faith is an assurance of hope. And we hold it up like a shield to protect us and put on the helmet of salvation. Salvation, uh, the greatest gift we could ever receive is that we could be saved from the wrath and the judgment of God by the blood of Jesus Christ. Rescued. Saved. Is there anything really more valuable that God had given us? Our battlefield so much of our battlefield is in the mind. That place where the enemy engages us. Those, those thoughts, those accusations, the false teaching, all those kinds of things. They, they really get into the headquarters of the human soul in the mind. And we battle there so much of the time. And if, and if our enemy can get us to the place of making an actual decision against the will of God or the teaching of God, then we're in serious trouble, and he's won a victory for us. But we have a helmet that protects the mind. It's our salvation. So even when my mind is being battled, even though these fiery darts of different kinds are coming at me, part of my armor is that I have salvation in Christ. And it's, it's part of faith, it's part of truth, it's part of righteousness, it's part of the gospel of peace, is this salvation, and it protects me. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Okay, we're talking about a conflict with worldly concepts, philosophy, which ultimately have themselves rooted in untruths and lies. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. There's a transformation taking place in our lives. And, and our mind is being changed. Our thoughts are being changed. This truth is coming in. This faith is at work. This righteousness and salvation all working in our souls, transforming us to be more and more like Christ and more and more effective on the battlefield of life. And so our armor is so important. Again, drawing attention back to these ideas, these are principles rooted in God himself, not complex strategies that, that we have to go somewhere to get unique training for. But in everyday life, these are the weapons of our warfare, and they are mighty. So the armor functions as a whole. We want all these components working together. And salvation is just, I think we think of salvation as a moment, the moment we gave our lives to Christ. And yes, it began in that moment, but it's a journey. And, and even when it comes to the day of judgment and the wrath of God on the, all of the world, and, and eventually Him making all things new that we look forward to, all of that is a journey of salvation for us. It isn't just a moment. It's something that's happening all the time in our lives and is prompting a transformation in us. So we put on that helmet of salvation. We carry the principle of salvation with us every day in life.
and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So part of our armament, if you will, all of this armor and weaponry that we have, we have a sword, a weapon. It's a weapon. Is it a weapon of the Holy Spirit? Is, a, is it a weapon of the spiritual realm? Yes, both. It's the Word of God. God does not just say things flippantly. He doesn't have casual conversation. When God speaks, it's power. It's the most powerful um, expression in creation. It created creation. The Word of God did. And so when God speaks, it's the most powerful thing. And we have His Word at our disposal to deal with our enemy when He comes against us. And we see that, again, going back to the very beginning, when spiritual warfare began, with the words, did God really say, we have to know what did God say? What has God said? And when God said something, it wasn't just historical, it, it transcends time. It's eternally true. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Hebrews 4.12 The word of God goes into the spirit and it does things. What does that mean? It goes into our soul. It goes into our mind. It, it goes in and works things in all of our inner being. Even as we're reading the word of God today, it's, it's going out like a sword and doing a, a work inside each one of us. But it also does work with our enemy. So when our enemy comes against us with those fiery darts, are you saved? Do you have faith? Do you know the truth? Are you righteous? All those spiritual warfare challenges that we receive from our enemy, we can say, I have this sword here, the word of God, and indeed, I am righteous by the blood of Jesus. Indeed, I am saved by the work that he did on the cross and the faith that he has given me. And I can guard against the enemy taking background in my life because I have faith. This, this word of God is a sword and it's meant to be wielded. Here's the thing. If I gave you a real sword and you went around the room right now swinging it and playing with it, somebody could get hurt. We are meant to have a good command of the word of God. It's a weapon. It's an elegant, powerful weapon that's meant to be wielded with skill and discretion. And so we could use the word of God to, uh, we could twist it to, to, you know, we could take it like a sword and, and twist it to hurt people. We could malign it. Satan maligned the word of God. When we look at the temptation of Jesus, he, he in, in, in Matthew and, and Luke, uh, which I would love to get into today, but we're just not going to have time for that. But we see probably the most um, descriptive and visible spiritual warfare in all of the scripture is right there in the temptation of Jesus. It is a fantastic illustration of what spiritual warfare is to you and I. And Satan comes and he takes, it's like he has, he's, he looks at the sword and he twists it. He twists the word of God. But Jesus has firm command of the word of God. He knows how to wield it. See, Satan 
took things out of context and honed in trying to use the word of God to test Jesus. But Jesus had a firm understanding of the whole of the scripture and how to wield it, and he wielded it so well. That is instruction for you and I. Why do you need to know the word of God? Why should you know it in and out thoroughly? Why should you have firm understanding and command of it? It is your weapon. You will lose ground on the battlefield of life and in the spiritual realm, in our soul, in our mind, when we do not have command of the word of God. So all of these principles we take with us like armor, like weaponry, into our everyday lives. Not just in a deep moan of prayer, but when you're walking down the street, in every thought and challenge that comes your way in every single day of your life, you have all of these things at your disposal to win the battle, to take the ground, to see the kingdom of God at work around you through the church. This manifold wisdom of God is being made known to the heavenly realms through you and I, the church. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much today for your word. Lord, that you have given us such powerful illustration and instruction. So God, right now I pray for every single person in this room. God, that you would be encouraging them with these principles of truth and salvation and peace. Lord, of, with the word of God and faith and God, all, all of your armor, Lord, we, we pray that you would be encouraging each one of us in it. Lord, that we would be reminded that we're engaged in a war, but it's not carnal at all. It's based in these principles that are derived from you. So God, I pray you would encourage each person today as they go from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, church. Thank you for joining me today. Hope you have a great rest of your day. And I hope to be back with you in person very soon. Have a great day.